0: Well, that's like one day after it's over. I said, "You got to be kidding me." So <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm sorry. She said, "So, anyway, she said, I'll tell you what. I'll, you tell me the dates you were planning on, and I'll send you what it would have cost you. How's that?" <laughs> you can go. You can go next year. So, anyway, we uh, took a good trip up the coast, and which is, we love. Anyway, we do the central coast and all up the Monterey and all those areas up there. And saw Big Sur and the burns, and it's amazing how much a Big Sur is. Uh, has been burnt really all across the hillside I mean for miles you just drive along the coast and it's burnt and then you get a couple miles down it's still burnt, still burnt but uh, they're up and running there's people everywhere all over we have never done a vacation I was telling someone that even when the kids were growing up I don't think we've ever taken a vacation during summer break when school was out so we were kind of amazed by how many people are out there uh, during the summer months, so we probably will never go again uh, during during the summer breaks it 's just a lot of people to deal with, and I, uh, I just hadn 't done that in a lot of years, but thank you very much. We had an excellent time, and it was good to get remarried to my wife you know for those couple of weeks and experience her more you know in close proximity and together all the time enough to become a nuisance again. <laughs> If you've got your Bible and you want to go with me to Galatians chapter 6, we'll spend a few minutes together tonight, and I know you're anxious to uh, get home to those results and watching those run, Ryan, run, and uh, I know they're over at the convention center doing it now. You could, If I get can get you out of here soon enough, you can get over there to watch the end, can't you? Is anybody going to do that? Is anybody hoping that I'll to go over and see the end of the run by Ryan? You can run home and watch it. Those of you, yeah. See, I have to understand, I don't have television. I live in the dark ages. And uh, NBC controls the the deal. And so you either have to have television to get it at 6.30 or you have to have satellite to get it on the East Coast. You could have seen it at 4.30. I know somebody here in town did that. Um, but on the Internet, that's the only access I have. And they will not let you get to it until... Uh, they'll let you get to pieces, but you can't see anything happening. And uh, so... But I did, I did get some reports. But. but nonetheless, I mean, how many of our guys have been in the Olympics? Whew. That's very exciting. Very exciting. Ryan Hall. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, verse 10, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. I wrote these next remarks out because I felt they were important to say and I didn't want to say them incorrectly. So I hope you'll listen to this next little paragraph. Okay? I think that you may not like this message. Perhaps you will not like me either. For some, I would offer my apologies ahead of time, sincerely, only because you've heard a similar message before. And the messenger who gave it may have used it to beat you up and to condemn you. And then the devil probably used it to convince you of a lie concerning this message. And you may have even left the church or the fellowship of God's people because of it. And maybe just now you've come back into the body just to kind of give it another try only to hear the same message again. <laughs> <laughs> so here's my, here's my request. Please give it a chance. Open your heart and listen. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you in His sincere love for you. And let it be motivated by Him and for His word to us in this season. Alright? That's, that's, my, that's my introduction. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I titled the message, Our Hearts Are at Stake. One of the fun things Peggy and I did on vacation was when we'd find ourselves saying a phrase that's kind of odd or unique to English, we'd ask ourselves, wonder where that came from. Any of you ever heard the, we, we ran into this one in Monterey, ever heard the saying, happy as a clam? Mm-hmm. When was the last time you could tell the expression or the emotion of a clam? You know? You've heard the happy as a clam? Yeah. A clam. (laughs) Happy as a clam. The whole phrase is, happy as a clam at high tide. But we shortened it up. The reason a clam is happy at high tide is because nobody can dig him up and steam him. Because he's at the bottom. But at low tide, he is at peril. Or she, I suppose, if clams have those things happening. So when I wrote this title, Our Hearts Are at Stake, I thought, hmm, at stake? What does that mean? You know, we say phrases like the stakes are high. or well, you might think of uh, even gambling, playing poker, and what are the stakes? In other words, what's at risk? What have we got on the table here that is at risk of being lost or won back? And that's the phrase I used on purpose. It's our hearts that are at stake in this message. Galatians chapter 5, verse 5. Now, he who has prepared us, and I realize I'm picking it up a few verses into this chapter. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Yours might say as a down payment or earnest. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. This is not an unfamiliar passage, especially if you've been in a funeral or memorial service. We talk about people who are absent from the body, being present with the Lord, and this is where it comes from. It's not my focus tonight. My focus tonight is this one little verse 7. We walk by faith and not by sight. We're Christians. We have never seen Jesus, yet we are little Christs. By the term Christian, we are followers of Jesus. We're his disciples. We're following somebody we've never seen. But we've seen him exampled in the lives of many. We've seen the body of Christ at work and at action. We have those who are talking and working with us, praying for us, and helping us grow all along the way in our Christian life that model the life of Jesus because they found it in the Scriptures. So we're not without Christ. Because His body is always with us and around us in, in one another. But we've never seen Him. Right? We walk by faith. Not by what we can see. When you go to the register and you pull out your money and you lay it on the counter, you believe there's something behind it that makes it valuable, right? Right? Mm-hmm. What is that? Generally, what do we refer to? The gold standard, right? And so, somewhere in Fort Knox or some other place, there's a pile of gold, supposedly that backs up the value of the dollar. But we just go in there and plunk it down. Don't even think about it. But it has value. Today, it doesn't have as much value as it did last year. We know that, but it does have value, and we just spend it by faith. Faith isn't that difficult to comprehend. But in following Jesus and responding to the messages of Scripture, we are faith people. It was, well, I opened this a little while ago. I already had the words in my heart. But I, it was one of those moments when I wanted to look. This is a hymnal. It's an old an old songbook, right? And I had a particular song in mind and I wanted to look it up. And I went to the index and I didn't find it right away. So I just started peeling through the page. And it was one of those moments where it opened right to the song. I thought, okay, I'm good with that. Um, You know, I don't want to to live a mysterious Christian life, but I do believe there's something at work that's bigger than than me, bigger than you, right? And I appreciate the Holy Spirit working with us. The Solid Rock is the song. Edward Mote wrote it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That means his blood and his righteousness, not mine. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Jesus is the solid rock. There are other verses, but that wasn't my concern. It was this song that came up in my being that said, that's where our faith rests on Jesus, the solid rock. We're faith people. We do things that are uh, unusual. To the, to the regular person in the world, it's abnormal. The things you do because of what you believe. Most people don't get up in the morning or sometime during their day grab a Bible and read it. It just doesn't happen a lot unless you're a believer or you're an investigator looking for Christ. But it's not common and yet the Bible is still one of the best-selling books. It is probably the best-selling book of all time. It's what we live by. It frames our future. It talks about our past. It releases us from our past through the blood of Jesus and sets our future solidly on Him. (coughs) Now, all of that to frame this Galatians 6, I have a concern tonight. And I said, I, you know, I'm not preaching this message so that you will like me. You can go away not liking me tonight. That's okay. Just hope you come back and like me later. And I'm not trying to offend, but, but these kind of messages have a way of making people upset. And I'm almost setting you up to be upset, aren't I? But again, what does the Holy Spirit want to say? He says, you're a faith person. You're living a life out that demands you do things that are abnormal. But because they're kingdom-oriented, they're about Jesus and His ways, and it's not about the world. We, we are kind of anti, right? We're swimming upstream. We're cutting across the grain. The old King James in uh, Peter says, we're a peculiar people. It doesn't mean we're an odd bunch of ducks. It just means we're selected out of the world. We've been called out of the world. Now we're called by the name of Jesus. And that makes us his peculiar, his personal people. <clears throat> let him, Galatians six, 6 who has taught the word, share in all good things with him who teaches. The Old King James Version says let him communicate. If you look into the Greek, it comes from a word koinoneo, which means it's used in two different senses, and I wrote them both down. One in a a number of passages in the New Testament, when it talks about sharing or (coughs) communicating with another person, it means that you have a share together in something. Koinonia, fellowship, friendship, the love of God. It's It's a togetherness thing. So you... Uh, the One definition, to share in. The other one, which is used here, means to share or to give a share to the other person. Take part of what's yours and give it to them. That is communicating what belongs to you to another person. Taking something of your resources, your values, your material possessions, your time, your emotional content, your wisdom, whatever is of you that you can give and impart or communicate to another person, that's what this word means. Koinonia, so that you share together in it. Now some things we can give away um, and it doesn't take anything away from us, right? It's like a candle. It doesn't ever lose anything by lighting another one. It multiplies. There are times though when and you remember the story, this one always comes to mind, of the little boy that had to give blood for his sister to live, remember that? And, uh, but he thought he had to give up all his life, not just some blood. He thought he had to be drained, and yet he made the decision to do it. That's a different kind of sacrifice, isn't it? That's a giving of everything, and it takes something away from you in order to do that. This says that you should, the ones who are taught the word should communicate or share in all good things with him who teaches. Now, we tend to talk in those terms when we talk about church, about its staff. I'm one of those. Pastor Mike's one of those. Ed Breyer's one of those. And I want to say, really, and we're being recorded, so it goes on record, that you have taken, as a body, you have taken very good care of us coming back from two weeks off and and enjoying the time and, and many of you in the church even gave us a little extra something at our 30th celebration party to go and have fun with and believe me we did and lots of you gave us cards to eat out and we hunted those places down and we ate and I've got the proof <laughs> Peggy doesn't just me and and so I, I just want to say that you take very good care of us and I want to explain a couple of things about the vision of the church tonight and the and the pieces of Christian Center that perhaps you're not aware of. But we have multiple staff in this church for two primary reasons. A church our size generally does not have multiple staff. Okay? A small church usually has one pastor. If it's got a hundred to a couple hundred people, one pastor and that's it, maybe a part-time secretary. Maybe a full-time secretary if there's enough people nearing 200. We're we about 150 every weekend, and we've got about 190 people in cells, and we have three people on staff. Some people think that's out of balance, but here's why. Two reasons, and I hope you'll get these. One is vision. The other is that whenever you don't have a mortgage, because we are debt-free, we have always been debt-free here. We paid the thing off a long time ago, and we keep ourselves debt free. When you're debt free, you don't get to do all the luxurious things that everybody wants. And you just even if you're at home, you know you may have an extra cash, but you're not living in the palace, you know. And so we try and keep it comfortable here. We try to keep the atmosphere right. We try and keep the ministry good. And but we do have multiple staff because when you get rid of a mortgage payment, you make room for another salary. Now, the minute we decide to pop out a wall start going into debt to make a building, then we lose staff. So while that may have not been obvious, really, I, to me it's obvious, but it needs a little bit of explanation, that's the second reason. The first reason is because of vision. And I wanted to share with you a couple of things about vision here at the church. And uh, we are a cell driven self-structured congregation. That provides the foundation for a church that we believe can reach a community in the most effective way. You know, there is no uh, building that I know of in our community that can hold what God wants to do. It can't, there's no building here that will hold the number of people that God wants to love and have in His kingdom. He wants to embrace. Thousands upon thousands of people with the gospel and the good news of his son coming to die for them. He wants them to respond to that. So when that begins to occur in a larger way than it is right now, there's no building here in town that can hold it. Uh, were you able to find that file? Okay. The, uh, you know, I went to a funeral the day I got back from vacation. I was at Ed Stalkup's memorial service. Here's my, were some of you there? Anybody else there? No? Um, Ed Stalkup, the guy's a legend. You know, He's an icon in the community. He was my freshman English teacher. Uh, it was funny, during the service, they, they said, how many of you had Mr. Stalkup for freshman English? And over half the people in the room had him, no matter what their age was. The young man sitting next to me said, my dad is 62, and my dad had him for freshman English. You guys, did you have him? Look at that. What year did you graduate? 60, And they had this guy in freshman English, Ed Stocker. The guy's a legend. They go to the Presbyterian Church, the one on Knickerbocker, across from uh, Operation Breakthrough, right? And his wife, Charlene, who runs the preschool here in our building, she's the matriarch of the preschool, said, well, we'll just have the service at the church because not, probably not a lot of people will come. And they took a little of arm wrestling with her, but they said, no, you need to have it like Northwoods. And so they opened up the whole thing at Northwoods and there was standing room only. More than 500 people there. And if, if there could have been another venue, bigger, maybe the convention center, they probably could have filled that as easily had the word gotten out further. People traveled from all over the place to honor this man in his passing. Now, when I look at that and I see one man's passing draw a crowd of 500 people, and then you say, we're talking about the kingdom of God and one man's passing, Jesus who passed away for our life and for our eternal salvation and we started helping people understand that Jesus died for them and they're forgiven and they can come to know Him there's no building up here that would ever suffice to hold the number of people that would come to an event honoring the Lord Jesus Christ right there's some big ones built we got community we got Calvary Chapel the Catholic Church there's some big buildings but our vision here is not to build a big building that's why we had multiple staff our goal is to reach into the community, go into all the world, make disciples, through the lighthouses that a lot of you are in and running, and continue to reach outside of those lighthouses and add people into them, inviting friends, inviting even relatives, my goodness. Neighbors, uh, the trash man, the, the secretary, the, the the worker at the store, whoever you're around in your construction company, to make invitation to them to come and be with you as you reflect on the good things Jesus is doing in your life and in the life of the people in your lighthouse. And we believe that it's possible. Not only possible, but we've got biblical record of it happening. We see it happening all over the world, that to be structured in cell-based, cell-driven uh, style is makes us a group that can penetrate our community. But it doesn't just happen because we organized it well. It only happens when you and I develop a heart that says, hey, I'm going to heaven, I should take somebody with me. And I begin to reach out to that co-worker. And I look at that person that's stressed out and hurting, and I can say to them, hey, you know what? There's hope in Christ. Maybe, Maybe your existing problem you're in right now won't be erased, but there is hope that you can have peace when you go home at night. There's hope that you can be forgiven and you can go to heaven. I know that, and I'm going to share that with you. I'm going to be offensive or or try and push them away, or as people say, shove the gospel down their throat. But my goodness, if they need hope and you've got it, you should be giving it away, right? And so we're structured that way, not to uh, try and big, build bigger buildings or, or make bigger barns. And you know, the churches in America are probably the most unused buildings in the in the nation. You know, they're just huge. Empty structures most of the week. That's not our goal here. We want to decentralize. We need a place to meet. I'm not saying that we should never build or be bigger than we are now. I'd love it. I'd love to have more space for kids' classes and and nursery and a little more effective. I, I was telling somebody earlier, I mean, this is just a big house we bought. And then we built this building. And back there, we do all kinds of things just to keep it together. You know, you, just, you need something in another room, you poke a hole and there you go. You know, it's not real classy. It's just get it done. If, and if you're first time back there, do you feel like you're sort of lost in the house of doors? Yeah. Like, where's the bathroom? I mean, there's a, that's not it. That's not it. And you open Oh, there's somebody there. You know, and you, end up, you can go in a circle. You go, where was I? Or where am I? And you can hopefully get out of there. So it wasn't designed as a church. And we're not trying to build bigger buildings. It would be nice to, you know, There was a tree that used to be in the parking lot right outside here, a big, great big pine tree, and it was dying. It was leaning. And the wind comes from that direction. And I thought, oh, one of these days, maybe the wind will just blow that tree right through the building. You know, because you could probably get a lot of stuff out of the building after a wreck, but a fire, you wouldn't be able to get your stuff. You know, Maybe it'll just crush the place. We'll have to rebuild under insurance. You know, I used to think like this. Yeah, (laughs) you know, a bulldozer, a road grader could get loose off the highway or something, and just plow through, and then we could start over. But what am I saying? I'm saying it's not a clear, demonstrative, right now kind of focus to say I need a bigger building. We don't have a, a philosophy here that says, you know, build it and they'll come which is a way of manufacturing church growth. You know if you build a building, build a new building, by the time you get it done, it can be full? Surprisingly, when we were building this building, we have pictures somewhere of this building, nothing but frame studs and construction lights draped from the, uh, what do you call these things? Trusses. Trusses, thank you. (laughs) You're the man. And just, I mean, kind of see-through walls. And, and a wooden platform that was noisy as could be. It was just, a, and we had a group here ministering at some youth group, you might, Masters Commission from uh, Phoenix, and the place was jammed to the walls. And we didn't, we didn't have the insula, did we have insulation in yet. And uh, it was just the excitement of somebody's building a new building. Let's go over there. Let's be part of that. And so we could knock out a maybe we should knock out a wall and just invite people because we did. <laughs> And, and it's a church growth mechanism. What happens is you get the building uh, and it's full. Now look at it tonight. It's not full. We're not staying room only. We're comfortable in our chairs and our weird carpet. And I call that because I picked it out. Put that in and somebody said, it looks like a casino. <laughs> to which I could look them in the face and say, I wouldn't know that. I've been to a couple, you know. Just kind of, yeah. So our, our our perspective and our philosophy, our vision for ministry is to decentralize, to go into the community and go where there's existing homes, go into existing businesses. We can meet in parks, very portable, very flexible in time and meeting. It's not just Sunday, Wednesday church. It's It can be manufactured and designed in order to reach people where they live and where they Need Jesus to be with them. It's, it's like Jesus, you know, going out into the highways and the byways. It's Christ in the boat with the disciples. Only you're Him, and it's you going to work and shining as as a Christian in your circle of influence. You're carrying the responsibility of hearing what Jesus said in Matthew twenty-eight: "Go into all the world and make disciples." All of us have the privilege. So, I'm not, you know, uh, getting weird about buildings here tonight. I just think that part of the vision for us is not to focus on a box, but on people. Another focus that we have is the development of leaders. To to be able to lead new lighthouses. To help people become disciples to the point where they say, you know what, I can do this, this is not hard. Running a cell group isn't hard. I mean, just show up and gather some people and start talking about jesus and praying together and you have an outline we can follow and hey let's do this let's get a group of new people and let's grow together until we have relationship and discipleship happening and so we have a training mechanism that we're working we've reworked it a few times we're kind of working on it again now and it probably will evolve regularly Uh, Hopefully not all the time, but we're not trying to just go through change for change's sake, but we want it to be better and better all the time so that anybody that wants to can say, I could become a leader of other people. So our focus and philosophy is to raise up new leaders, not just open new cell groups. We believe that if we train you and I to be good leaders, we will just automatically begin to go and, as a result of being trained and open a group. So we're going to raise up leaders, not groups. We raise up groups... And don't have a leader, we're in trouble, because that thing will fizzle out over time. We need you and me to become leaders so that we can help others know Christ. It's that simple. We're very specific in that. We believe that in, in those circles we're going to find care structures. Everybody needs to be cared about, right? Everybody needs somebody there when times are hard, when it's when they're hurting, when there's joy, when there's celebration. We want to celebrate together with others. You know, even our leaders—I don't know how often it gets used—but the, the the things that we use for our leaders, when we give them the facilitation guide, and they can go to their their—we uh, have it, all this is available on our website to be able to manage a small group. You can go there and it'll tell you who in your group's got a birthday this week. Anybody ever get a birthday cake at your lighthouse, your cell group? You know, you walked in and somebody's ratted you off. It was your birthday, and they had something surprised you. That's about family. It's about fellowship. It's about knowing one another enough to say, hey, I knew it was your birthday. Now you'll notice we just took the birthdays out of the bulletin, so now you'll never know. You'll have to guess. (laughs) Anyway, that's another story. But the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that God gave to Jesus when he ascended on high, gave gifts to the church. Those gifts were people. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. We call it... The, the ministry of the hand, or a five-fold ministry, which works well in English, but not in some other countries. But apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. The next part of the verse says, for the equipping of the saints, to help you. That's why he gave me to the body of Christ. Anywhere I go in the world, if I'm a pastor, and God called me to be one, anywhere I go, I'm a pastor. And if there are people there that need to be helped and growing in Christ, I should be able to help them do that, with his calling, and with his anointing. And so ministers, as we tend to think of them in America, the guy that's standing up here, the gal that's standing up here, the leader of the thing, they're not the only ones responsible for the gospel. We're supposed to be equipping other people in the whole body so that the whole body can function and reach others for Christ. And so we're, we're about care structures that include others as leaders. Uh, you know, we're not that large, but I recall uh, talking and hearing another pastor in a group His church is in Texas, and I think he's got like 4,000 people in their church in cells all over the city. And the question was asked, you know, how many weddings have you done in the last month? He said, in our church, in the last month, there have been, and he named the number of weddings, and it was maybe half a dozen or so, because of the size, like a small town, 4,000 people. So we had this many weddings last month, but I didn't do any of them. See now, in a small church, you go, what? The pastor didn't do the wedding? What's the deal? What's he not doing what he's paid for or what? No, it was because ministry leadership had been decentralized and others had been empowered and raised up, ordained, if you will, in that area of ministry in order to do those things. And they had community with that part of the body of Christ. So when people get raised up in that and they want to get married, who's the person they know? They know their most immediate leader. The senior pastor wasn't doing the wedding. The person who knew them best was doing it. And around here you'll see when we have water baptisms, right? Right. I'm not baptizing everybody. You guys are. And I think that's how it should be. I think if you win a disciple to Jesus and you're discipling them and it comes up to the point of baptism, it should be kind of like Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Riding along in the chariot and Philip's laying out the word to him and he pulls up and says, Hey, there's water right here. What hinders me from being baptized? Now in the American church, in a traditional non-cell driven, non-cell structured church, Philip would have had to answer, well, we have to go back and go every Sunday and go to Sunday school classes for 18 weeks and learn about baptism and then the pastor will dunk you. But Philip didn't say that, did he? he? They climbed down out of the chariot. He said, the only thing that hinders you from being baptized is believing in Jesus. He says, I believe. He said, well, let's go. Down in the water, he baptized him. I'm not trying to make it too simple, but I'm just trying to reach out to us tonight, talk about vision and philosophy of ministry. Why we're doing what we're doing. Empowering you as a believer to win souls for Jesus and disciple them. Not have to have everything happen inside our box. What we'd love to do is have cells doing so much in our community that on the weekends when we gather Saturday night, we're gathering whole cell groups. Or Sunday morning we're gathering whole cell groups coming together like a family. And we're celebrating what happened in your cell group this week. What happened in your lighthouse? Testimonies all around the room saying, Well at ours this is, you know, so and so and they just gave their heart to Jesus this week. And we've had that. We've had some of that. And we've hand out baptism certificates of those that you've been baptizing during the week. Out in the back porch in the rain double baptism with Pastor Mike. That was awesome. Standing right in the water, asking Jesus to save her and then baptize her immediately. And this is awesome. That came out of a self-family. Right? Is that right? I mean, has she ever even been here? One time. One time. To to, to get the certificate after the fact. Here's a person that gets saved and water baptized never even been in the box. I love that. I want them to come here, yeah. We want people to fix themselves to our times together worshiping Jesus, but if they don't for a year, that's okay as long as you've got your arms wrapped around them and you're helping them grow. So we're very specific in our approach. We want cells that evangelize with the constant goal of multiplying. That's about how cells... Let me me have Jaden run us through these slides if we can. Can you do that, bud? and uh, there's just like four or five of these lighthouses and it says G12 don't get lost on that and attempt to define Big Bear Christian Center in five little powerpoints. this is an old thing, just go ahead and go to the next one because I don't have the drive this is a traditional cell church, it's kind of a five by five Jethro model that comes from the Old Testament when Jethro you know, gave Moses the advice how to split up the whole millions of Israelites so they'd all get ministered to was, you know, you'd have a leader and he'd be over five people and then Each one of those would be over five, so it's called five by five organizational structure. There's clear cut titles and levels, you know, senior pastors and associate pastors or cell leaders, and so everybody's got kind of clean. Go to the next one. And we don't get lost here. This is us. This is a little more like how it works for us. And that's what the G twelve thing was. This is an old slide, but it's just I just want to kind of not confuse, I hope, but just give you some pictures. That we believe everybody can lead a small group. And that that group should never really get bigger than about a dozen people. So the model of Jesus—that's what we call G12, groups of twelve, if you will. So something along that fashion. But if we say uh, at twelve you have to multiply, it's funny how many groups we've had in the past that would never get over ten. They go, oh man, once we get to twelve, they're going to make us split up. So we'll stay small. <laughs> Don't ruin the vision here, okay? Each of the twelve could develop up to three cell groups, and the, you see the leaders got the purple. These are individuals. And when one of you purples decides to, to reach out and, and, uh, and open a cell, then eventually you could maybe oversee three cells and grow three cells. So it's just a multiplicity that occurs. It's an exponential growth that penetrates a community without saying, we can only grow as big as our box. Right? Uh, the goal is to find 12 leaders who will launch cells. Wouldn't it be something to have 12 people in your cell group and each one of them said, I'm going to open a cell? You say, great, and you launch them out there and, and then keep them in yours too. So that by the time you got done, you'd have 12 cell leaders in your group and they'd all have cells open. That would be awesome. Well, why? Just because it's numbers or it's, uh, you know, is this like um, multi-level marketing or something? What is this actually? Yes, yeah, it's Jesus system of evangelizing the world. It's so far it's worked to get to you. For a couple thousand years. And the church is going back to its roots in the New Testament where this occurred first. So we didn't invent this. Jesus did. And the church in the New Testament did. We're just kind of get back to it because there's a huge harvest of souls that needs to be reaped for Christ. Next one, Jane. Is there another one? Yeah, here's the lighthouse keeper of 12. And uh, you can do the math. You know, if you had 12 people doing 12 groups, you'd have 144 people. If you had 48 of those doing... You know twelve, then you know you get fifty cells in about three generations, first, second, third generation, you end up with about fifty cell groups that 's our initial goal is to reach fifty It'd be good this year to reach thirty and stay above it, and then you know head for forty and then on to fifty, but it just means that that many more people came to know Christ and I like Tommy Barnett when he says we count people because people count in El Salvador. I just received a, an update from Mario Vega, um, pastor of Elim down in El Salvador, the second largest church in the world, which is a cell-based church. And and his whole comments was about how they keep track of everyone and how that by Monday, after their Sunday celebration services, which are so, they have, what was it, nine or two on Saturday night and five on Sunday, seven or nine services every weekend, and they can only still have in those services services, about half of the total population of the congregation in their community. They have 140,000 people in the church uh, all over the city. 10% of the population of their city attends this one church. And, and he knows every Monday by 1 o'clock, he knows who was in all of his cell groups. And they have six to 8,000 cell groups. And his leaders bring all this documentation. It's all done on paper with pencils. And they bring it in. He says, this is important because we need goals. We need to know how to reach our community. We need to know how to expand the gospel into our country. Our goal is to win our whole country for Jesus. Not just our city. We're beyond that. We're reaching our country. They bought radio stations and they got TV stations. And they just keep, they bought new property. And these are people whose average income is about $100 a month. That might be a pretty wealthy person, really. And yet... Two dollars a day. I was thinking it was more like $40 a month. They pay their their, when a person opens enough cell groups and reaches enough people for Christ they put them on half salary for a while and have them do their work and do cell leading oversight and then once they hit a certain level of, of opening cells within their influence and leading people to Christ they put them on full time and then they actually pay their pastors I think it's $150 a month those people and they're There are people just like you and me that have raised up enough leaders and raised up enough cell groups and reached their community that they need to be about it all the time. They don't need to be doing anything else but caring for people. Isn't that marvelous? And uh, so I I like Mario on this because he's like Tommy Barnett saying, we count people because people count, not because we need numbers or we want to say we're the second largest in the world. No, we have a commission we're fulfilling, and it's reaching the world and discipling people for Christ. So is there anything beyond this one, Jaden? good uh the g12 structure this like say this is an old we don't talk about g12 much around here it just means groups of 12 but it follows relational lines not the five by five it's kind of like a management style jethro's management style and you can end up being overseen by somebody you don't even know he's your supervisor or he's your manager you know when you get assigned to them and that system works. It works for the largest church in the world, which is Cho's Church in Korea. They use a five-by-five five model there, and they've made it very efficient in their uh, environment. But I like this because it follows relational structures and lines. Um, basically, I mean, people you know, know other people, and they end up reaching out to them, and the next thing that happens, it forms into a small group, maybe three or four people together, and we launch a new cell with them. And there's no... Uh, dictatorship or hierarchy management style that says it's got to happen a certain way. It happens when you and I pray inside our lighthouse for new people to get saved. And then they get saved and we say, well, let's minister to them. Let's care for them. And then there's two or three of them. Well, why don't you go just lead them on a different time? Uh, get a time in the week that works for them. Don't do it at the same time as we do ours because I want you to stay with me. Come to my cell and then go lead yours. And let's keep praying together until that thing's, you know, maybe you're going to get too busy to come back all the time, but we could still be in relationship. Not just going to assign you off to some other leader. Say go, uh, they'll take care of you. So I wanted to share that. That's it, isn't it? That's the end of it. You know, lighthouse keepers chapters would be uh, something we haven't even talked about really. But we organize the lighthouses here by districts. We just have you know overseers and those with watchmen we call them. But I didn't want to get into all that tonight. Just want to kind of lay it out there. Okay. I'm not even sure I'm going to get to the message, no. The one that's supposed to make you mad. Okay, well, I'll give it to you. Um, let me, let me, I'll give you an old. did you all get one of these tonight? Okay, this is your next illustration. Now, this is the part that might upset some of you, and that's okay. I, it's okay if you're upset with me, all right? You know what I feel kind of like? I feel kind of like a dad talking to his kids. I don't mean that in any kind of a downplay or demeaning. You're just a bunch of kids, but I feel like I have a fatherly role here this evening as a pastor to say what I'm about to say to you. And here's part of it, right in the middle of this page, it says BBCC financial picture, doesn't it? And if you read that, as of August 11th, the month of August, our budget was is nineteen thousand five hundred ninety-seven dollars eighty-three cents. Uh, so far in August, we've received $8,980.53. That means we're short thus far in the, in the month, $10,617.30. That's what that says. The next little column talks about the year picture. Anybody tensing up because I started talking about money? Well, good, because that usually happens. <coughs> year to date, our budget. To this point in the year is $144,138.90. That's what we need year-to-date to this point. Not for the whole year, but just to get to this point. Below it is what we've received. And below that demonstrates that we're $25,000 short of meeting our projected budget. Now here's what I wrote. Put up with me if you have to. The light- It says right up here, Lighthouse Service Bulletin. The Lighthouse Service Bulletin is a mockery and an embarrassment to this congregation when it joyfully invites others to join us, participate with us, adhere to us and all the while announces that we don't believe in who we are enough to make certain that our bills are paid. We're just going to let this thing run downhill until something crazy occurs. Yet we want to have others come be hey, here come be part of us but we may not really believe in what we're doing here and this is a challenge and like I say I feel like a dad saying hey kids what are we doing here and I'm not I'm not going to use a message about money to do what I said at the beginning and you know beat you over the head and condemn you or bring some kind of a chastisement that says man churches all they, all they ever want is your money we hardly ever talk about money it's not the primary reason we're here. And in fact, I wrote this down too. I, I just didn't want to miss saying some of the things that were in my heart. We will not be determined well done, good and faithful servants just because we met budget. Right? That's not the criteria that's used in the Bible. Hey, good job, you guys met your budgets. No, it's based on how many disciples we brought with us, Right? It's about who we brought into the kingdom. It's well done. You went into the world, made all made disciples. You baptized them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. you taught them to obey all the things I commanded you. Well done, good and faithful servants. If you met budget, that's great too, but that's not part of the deal. What I said at the beginning, I still mean our hearts are at stake when we begin to discuss financial pictures. And this is to a new person that would come here and get one of these and see that in the middle of the page, we have it there for a reason, to keep you informed. But to a new person that would come here and say, man, maybe these guys don't believe in what they're doing here. Why are they running in the red? Then questions can begin to occur. Oh, they're staff heavy. They have too many people on staff. That's their problem. It's not our problem. Our problem is a lack of vision. Our problem is a lack of desire to see our neighbors saved. There's something about us that we need to, you know, take a little temperature. We need to check the pressure. You say, "Where's the life? Where's our love? Where's our heart?" In Mark chapter 12 And I better just go through these quick cuz if you don't want to like me about it, it should be hurried and not as painful. Mark chapter 12 verse 41 now, Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. Does your Bible tell you how much a mite is worth? How much is two mites? Does yours say? A fraction of a penny? So he called his disciples to himself, Jesus, and said to them assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. What's Jesus telling us? It's not the amount that he's looking at, is it? It's a matter of the heart. Our hearts are at stake. When we give to to the kingdom of God, when we give to Jesus, it's our heart that's at stake, not the amount. In Galatians 6, where we started... Right? Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Don't be deceived. God isn't mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Sowing and reaping. has to do with all. It's one of the principles and the foundations of Scripture. Giving and receiving. Sowing and reaping. Whatsoever a man sows, he reaps. Have you ever known an angry person? Don't they kind of attract angry situations? (laughs) They sow their anger and it comes right back to them. Sometimes it's immediate. Sometimes we sow finances into a project. Uh, Right now, some of us, even in in our congregation, you know, maybe some of our contractors, those are sown. uh, You're dealing with this all the time in real estate. We've put our hopes into this real estate, and then the market goes boom. And now people are discounting things to where they're beyond the point of not you know showing a profit they're going into having to show a loss in order just to move something out and uh, people are taking these losses big time all across the nation it's huge and i i hope that that it's not happening to you of course and i think that we're in a different kingdom and the structures are different and that's why i'm talking about our hearts tonight because we don't always have to go down with the world But what we sow, we will reap. And if we sow into his kingdom, we will reap benefit in his kingdom. There will come a day when we reap what we've sown. That's one of the things I so thank God about when I got saved. I have one illustration that stands out in my mind, and I think one day I might be able to get even. But when I was in junior high, I went to a school that was the whole backside, the whole school was made out of glass. You know, it was one of those like a kind of commercial building with the. With the rails and big glass panels, and then colored curtains inside to make it look beautiful, and I lived about oh, about a little over a hundred yards from my the top of my backyard to the back of the school. I was right behind the baseball diamond, and on the weekends I'd go out and tee up golf balls behind the behind the uh, backdrop, the backstop of the of the ball diamond, and I would just drive them. Well, the building was that wide, you know. Even if I hooked it or sliced it, I'd still hit it. If I hit it far enough and I'd just sit there and drive golf balls, I would, that was in my math class. And it would hit the curtain, go through the glass, hit the curtain and drop straight down. And then, you know, hit, oh, history. Second period. And on Monday, I would go to my class, and they wouldn't have the curtains open because of the sun, and I'd just go along and pick up my golf balls at the bottom of the curtains. I don't know how much damage I did. I figure one day I'll have to go back to that school. (laughs) and say, how much is one of these windows? I need to buy a few. And I always feared that what I sowed, one day I would reap. <laughs> that some kid was going to set up golf across the street from my house and start, start taking out windows. And You know, I, I saw the sowing and reaping prospect. It became very real to me, became very tangible. And God used that illustration in my heart and my mind to remind me that His grace has set me free from so many things I deserve to get back. That they will never come, I'm not going to be held accountable for my sins. Jesus paid for them there's a I've got an open door here that's unbelievably wonderful and undeserved. I may make it right with the school someday, but I'm glad I didn't sow what I re- or reap what I sowed in First Corinthians chapter nine. This is one of the chapters where Paul talks about receiving support as an apostle. And he talks with them about saying, you know, that some people, uh, you, you support some people, and they're, they're not even taking care of you like we are as apostles and fathers in the faith. He said, but we've never exercised this right against you. We have the right to receive from you as we've given to you. And in uh, verse 14, he said, even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that it should be done so to me, for it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. His boasting was this. I've presented the gospel to you without charge. I was able to serve you because I made tents. I, I paid my own way. There were those who sent finances to keep me on the road. And I was able to come to you and minister to you and set up churches and plant and expand the kingdom. And I've never charged you Never. The other churches have supported me and I, and blessed them for that. He says, but you guys have never had to pay for me. But, nonetheless, it is still the rights by the words of Jesus, it's still the right of those who preach the gospel to live by the gospel. There are other passages that say people who spend their time in the word, uh, and I want to say about Pastor Mike, these last messages he preached for us, and the God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, I mean, this takes some digging in the word, don't you think? And those who work in the Word are, are worthy of double honor, the Bible says. In other words, they should never be kind of at the bottom of the food chain. And I want to say, we're not. I don't feel like we're at the bottom of the food chain. I think we're well taken care of. But I still think that we're advertising our faith when we say we're, we don't have enough. We, we put this in front of you every week and say, we don't have enough. You go home and say, we don't have enough. Not just the church, probably at your house. You're saying right now, this is a recession. Nobody has enough. <laughs> right? And the gas is up and down and up and down, and groceries are more expensive than they've been in 17 years, and, and uh, it's harder right now than at any other time you've known probably. And yet we don't want to keep saying to ourselves, there's no way out. It's a matter of heart. It's not a matter of checkbook or savings. Jesus was very clear when he said a man is not, you know, he's not um, known, or I'm getting all messed up here because i got too many things in my head. Um, You know, the value of a man's life isn't comprised of what he owns, basically. It's not how much I have that makes the difference. The widow got Jesus' attention because she went into the sacrifice mode. She went in when she didn't have any more to give than what she had, and so she gave that. What was she saying? I owe the church? No. She was saying, I know God. He will take care of me. And this is all I have. And he knows that. So if I give him all I have, the burden is on him and not me. I can go home and trust. I can go home and relax. I can go home and have nothing. And yet, I'll have everything. Because my God will now be in charge. I'm not trusting my money. I'm not going to trust that two mites or a fraction of a penny is going to feed me for the period of time I need to be fed. I need to cast that hope into the treasury of God's kingdom and let God now have the responsibility of feeding me way more than two mites is going to get. As a matter of the heart. The rich were coming along and dumping in out of their excess and looking around making it jingle so people see. You know, oh, uh, excuse me, (coughs) bang the chest and... You know, and dump it in and say, Look how much I'm giving. And Jesus said, I, I see the heart. Those people have much more than they put in. This woman gave everything she had. Am I asking you to give everything you have to pay off these debts? Hope you're not hearing it that way. And if you got ran out of the church by a message concerning money, I hope this wasn't, doesn't run you off because I'm not after your money. God's not even after your money. I'll show you why. Luke chapter 12. (laughs) The moment we think God needs our money, we just made a big mistake. Right? Psalms states very clearly that the whole world belongs to God and everything in it. I mean, people have spent their whole lives digging in the side of mountains looking for gold, right? God knew where it was the whole time. Did he need them to get it out so he'd know where it was? <laughs> no. Right? <laughs> the psalmist said, God owns, My God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I always thought this was a great picture. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And, I, and my next sentence was, He owns the hills too. <laughs> he owns the cows. He owns the hills. He owns it all. What he wants is to own you. And your heart. In Luke chapter 12, verse 13, Well, we probably don't have to take it from 13. Let me, well, okay. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to, to divide the inheritance with me. He said, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? He said to him, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, Hmm, what should I do? I've got no room to store my crops. Ah, I know what I'll do. I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and I'll build greater ones. And there I'll store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, the soul is the seed of the emotions, the heart, the will, and the emotions. I'll say to my soul, Soul, you've got many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. for God said, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up... For yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Our hearts are at stake. I know I've ministered messages like this before. But I need to ask us, what do we love? Who do we love? Do we love Jesus? Do we love the body of Christ? Do we love the church as we know it? Do we love our lighthouse? Or do we love pleasure? You know, what do you treasure? According to these verses, we have to ask ourselves. Jesus is tapping at the heart, saying, What is it you treasure? Is it your family? I treasure my family. I really do. I love my family. If it was all I had in the whole world was my family, I would be an absolutely happy man. Just as long as I had my family. I hope you feel similarly. What do you treasure? I treasure my family. Do you treasure your wife? Do you treasure your husband? Do you treasure food, cars, sports, pleasure, drugs, alcohol? We've been down those roads. Hobbies. A lot of people love their hobbies. They love themselves and they love their hobbies. How about missions? Bibles for people that don't have them. Uh, making disciples. How about do we love the poor? Do we love the orphan, the widow, the stranger. These are people that are pointed out by God in the scriptures. that says, here's pure religion and undefiled that you took care of the widow and the stranger and the, and the fatherless. Right? God's got a different set of values than what generally is put around us says, I'm interested in your heart, and is your heart bent on, where's your treasure? How are we going to know? Well, we look into our checkbook, we look into our bank statements, we look into our receipt files, and those things will tell us where our heart is and what attracts us and what has us. You know, I read a statement, it's in, actually in my Bible, if I was on the right page, I'd just read it to you, but I'll try and give it from memory. Uh, from another preacher, he said, God is not... God does not mind if Christians own material things. What he minds is when material things own Christians. You can have lots of this worldly stuff, but it cannot have you. God wants you. God wants your heart. God wants our heart collectively, and he wants to spend our heart on a community that we live in that doesn't know him yet. And if we find ourselves treasuring other things more so than him and his kingdom, we'll put all of our time, all of our strength, we'll put most of our resources into those things, and the body will be the less for it. And, I, and again, I, I, you know, we'll probably continue this, but, but this is the announcement of that. When I read this, I go, where's our heart? Why are we holding a debt? Why are we coming in shallow? And you may have an opinion about that, but this is where my opinion came to. And I wanted to share it like a dad. Hey, the household's kind of in trouble here. Now, the biblical aspect of giving principally has been given to the church as tithing. Right? And when we become members here in this church, there's a piece of that that says, I will, we uh, tell everybody that becomes a member that we suggest 10% as a minimum gift to the church that we're a member of so that we can keep the thing open so we can pay the bills so that we can come in on time on the budget so that we can expand as is, is appropriate to us and, and so you say man how am I gonna, where am I going to come up with 10% you'll never come up with 10% if that's where you start to just say uh, when I get it I'll give it remember what we said earlier we walk by faith not by sight we walk by believing in God's principles primarily and then leave the burden of proof on him Malachi chapter 3 is a great chapter. It says, uh, "Where you've robbed God. He said, wherein did we rob you, God? He said, in tithes and offerings. You kept back your tithes, you kept back your offering. You've robbed me. Those things belong to me. And you kept them. You spent them on yourself. You spent them on your hobbies, your pleasures, your attractions, the things of the world that call you away. And and there are those, let's go further, that actually have are using them on the necessities, not just lavish pleasures or or, you know, Just erratic spending. There are those that make so little. And I think of those that are on fixed incomes specifically. And when the price of things go up, their their income doesn't go up. Theirs is fixed. And they come and they say, how am I going to do this? I say, I think you have to do it the same way we all do it. It's by faith. You give like the widow. And you give not from the checkbook or from the pocketbook. You give from the heart. And you get right with God and say, God, you're in charge of me. I'm going to give. Now, would I suggest that somebody go hungry just so I can keep these lights on? That's not my heart. That's not what I'm asking. Is it? I hope you don't hear that. Let's turn the lights off if that's the case. We could live as a family, as a church, in a little Lesser luxury than we have now, right? We could sell our chairs to somebody else and get some bucks and pay some bills. We could put some boards in. But you wouldn't like that. You know, we put air conditioning in. And uh, it's working. I think it just turned off, but, you know, we've got a lot of timers. So it's not on all the time, but we put it in so there'd be some comfort in here. People wanted that. And, and uh, well, we could just turn it off. We could learn how to be frugal here and save money. And that's what we're going to do with this, by the way. You know, we're not, we're not going to say, well, heck, our budget's this much, let's just keep spending. I feel like as a dad to the family, I need to be saying, I want to challenge you to ask yourself, are you living up to what you promised God? Are you living in accordance with His Word so that, now listen to this, if you're living according to His Word, then the blessing side of it is on Him. And there's many of us in here, I'm sure, that could stand up and say, I've been tithing for X many years, or I've always tithed, or whatever, and I'm doing fine. He always takes care of me. I, my, the 90% for me is 100%. The other 10 is His. So I work with the 90. And I've never been at last. That's why I didn't want to suggest to you that I have some kind you know, the, the reason we're in the, in the hole is because I make so much money. You know, that's silliness. But I'm sure it's a thought, but let me tell you it's a silly one, okay? I think I make less now than I made 30 years ago, (laughs) okay? And the CPI has gone up probably every year. I'm not worried about that because the checkbook is not in charge of my life. He has to be in charge, right, of all of us. So if we're going to make it through a recession, one of the best ways to make it through a recession is to give your way through it. And to ask yourself, what am I treasuring? What am I holding on to? What is it that maybe I don't need to participate within any longer? And that part of my life could be resourcing the kingdom of God. Not just paying off bills here at the church, but actually advancing his kingdom. Which doing, paying off the bills here at the church would advance his kingdom. Okay, I should include us in that. But I just don't want you to get the feeling I'm pleading for money. I think God's pleading for hearts. And that we have a little bulletin that's telling us there's something wrong with our hearts. Maybe. Is our love growing cold? Is our interest in His kingdom waning? Will we keep the church open, so to speak? The building and the, and the function of who we are as a people group? Or will we... Start cutting things back, and and uh, you'll come, and we'll, you know, we'll do it with a guitar, no electricity, and we'll do it without heat or, or air, or, uh, you know, you'll just quit coming, and then we'll really be in trouble. But God's on the throne. Prayer changes things, and if if God gets your heart, He'll also have your pocketbook, right? That's what He said. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So if I move my treasure into his kingdom, then I'll be about his kingdom. I'll be more concerned about how my investment in his kingdom is working. And when we were sending money to China, we were always wanting to hear from China, how's it going? We can do effective work in Africa. We want to know how's it growing? How's our sowing producing a reaping of a harvest? It's not necessarily a personal one that I'm going to get something back from, but it is a kingdom benefit, and that's laying up treasure in heaven. When I get there, I'm going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. There are many who have come to Christ because you gave and you did the widow's might. You gave sacrificially in those moments and you were faithful in your tithe and your offering and you made it work in, on your end of the world. And I was using that on the other end of the world. Look at all these people here. And we talk in those terms and they're real terms because there's real souls. They're going to be touched in the kingdom of God by the kingdom of God having salvation because you did something about it. Now that's a delayed gratification and we in our culture are not really akin to delayed gratification. We want it now, we want it our way and I talk about that a lot and it's very disappointing to me to see a whole people group living that way. I just read a report uh, and and I'll close with this by one of our generals who's retired. He wrote a book about uh, our nation and I haven't read it. I just read this one excerpt from it. He said the problem with the United States right now is this we want everything and we believe we deserve it all and none of us are willing to live by sacrifice and one day the affluence and the things that produce affluence are going to disappear and we won't know what to do that's the danger that confronts america now and and everyone says well yes we should conserve energy yes we should use less oil yes we should recycle we should be environmentally safe and all these things are important but I think somebody else should do that (laughs) I think somebody else should stay home more I think somebody else should spend less I think somebody else should turn their lights off but not me that's not about me is it because we want it all we're chasing different treasures and God's constantly going to be talking to you and I about his kingdom and our love for that And I think that loving His kingdom and putting His kingdom and putting Him first in our lives, making sure we're on with tithes and offerings and mission support and helping the poor and reaching out to those that have less than you do, are the things that attract God's heart. And when we've got His heart and He's got our heart, the treasures are all on Him. Malachi says, test me in this. God's speaking. Test me in this. Prove me. Bring your tithe into the storehouse and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing that you don't even have room enough to receive. I'm looking for that room. You know what? I And I say that jokingly because I think I've lived in that room for more than 30 years. Constant care of God for me. And you. Father, tonight... Thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to speak like this. And I pray that, Lord, you would watch over the words and make them come through, come out right. Lord, don't allow the enemy to stretch or twist or foul up in any way what we try to say here this evening. pray that you will loose the sincerity of this truth upon our hearts and lives and help us to fan our love for you into flame. Lord, to demonstrate it by ordering our conversations, our actions, our lifestyle, our financial pictures, according to your word. Lord, we want to be an example to the world we live in about a different kingdom that is available to them through the person of your Son. So, Lord, make us those examples. Help us to live by faith and not by sight. Lord, we don't want to be governed by temporary circumstances or economies. We want to be governed by your word. So help us to be givers and lovers and sowers so that we can reap all of the benefits that you've provided for us in this abundant living through Jesus, your Son. And I ask it in His name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good. Good. Thank you.